Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Peter Kersenow. Pete is a New York Times bestselling author and former member of the National Labor Relations Board. We're here to discuss his latest book, The Devil's Weapons. It's published on December the 6th. The book is a true work of military suspense that taps into his distinguished background and brings to life the fascinating and enduring history of the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, during World War II. This is Pete's debut as a co-author of the late W.E.B. Griffin's best-selling series. He contributes regularly to the National Review, and his op-eds have appeared in newspapers ranging from the Wall Street Journal to the Washington Times. Pete, welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Wow, you have an impressive uh, background. How does one go from uh, lawyer to best-selling author? <laughs> By having not enough things to do. Actually, what happened is I started writing when I was on a plane coming from L.A., because we were delayed and I had nothing else to do. So I just started writing. I just started scribbling some things. By the time I landed in Cleveland, which is about three and a half hours, four, four hours later, I already had a couple chapters, continued to write. And uh, next thing you know, I just sent it out to a lot of different places, got rejections as you usually do, but also got a couple of acceptances. And it was kind of fun. You know, it's something I've never done before. But um, I figured, what the heck, I write all day and uh, every day for um, my practice, so why not do something that's fun instead of this drudgery that is called the practice of law? Well, you're stepping in uh, on the shoulders of a giant here, W.E.B. Griffin. Right. Kind of intimidating. You know, um, I was a W.E.B. Griffin fan long before they asked me to step in here, and I'd read you know, he's written so many. I didn't read all of his novels, but I read the entire presidential agent series, Men at War, um, uh, Clandestine Ops, and a few others. And uh, when they asked me to do this, it was kind of daunting, you know, because he is such a giant. He's considered one of the premier military authors, um, maybe the premier military uh, author. And so I was flattered and tried to see if I could measure up to the standard that he had set. You know, it's amazing. We've had other uh, authors on our podcast that have picked up the ball, like uh, Don Bentley that took over uh, the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan series and so forth. So I can't imagine what that's like uh, just with the pressure on that. And tell me a little bit about uh, The Devil's Weapons. It sounds fascinating. Great title, by the way. Yeah, well, thanks. Um it's about, you know, it's in the uh, Men at War series. It's got as its protagonists the uh, Major Dick Kennedy and uh, Eric Fulmer and the usual cast of characters that you've seen from the W. Griffin novels uh, in this series. And the premise of it is that there's a Polish scientist who is in a class with, you know, the Einsteins, Fermis, Oppenheimers, but he may be even a cut above. He's developed a formula 
that everyone's trying to get. It's a formula for uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, but on steroids. And it's a game changer, both in terms of the current state of the conflict, but also on a go-forward basis for when the war is over, whoever has this technology is going to have two or three levels of technology beyond everybody else. So um, he has been captured by the um, uh, Russians in uh, what was known as the Katyn Forest, the Katyn Forest Massacre, which historically was a massacre of about 20,000 Poles by the uh, Russians. The Russians, of course, tried to blame it on the Nazis. And of course, you know, if you blame something on the Nazis, almost everybody's going to believe it. Well, in any event, he's in this camp and um, is given an opportunity through some ledger domain to escape, which he does. Uh, by the way, the assassinations were carried out by one individual. Most people think Cat and Forrest was one of these things where you lined up all the polls, all the you know officers, and there were mayors and, and constables and others, and uh, line them up in front of a ditch, which sometimes the Nazis did, and just machine gun them down. But what happened for most of these individuals who were killed, remember, it's 20,000, an extraordinary number. It was one individual, the greatest assassin in the history of the world, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Bloken, of Vasily Bloken, who was an NKVD officer, and he used a Luger, not a Russian weapon, but a Luger, which he considered to be much better, and shot each individual one at a time. Really extraordinary. Well, in any event, Kapsky, who is the scientist, escapes, uh, but is caught in no man's land in Poland. This is just subsequent to Operation Barbarossa, the greatest land engagement in the history of military conflict. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's trying to get his way to the Baltics so he can somehow tran you know, um, transit over to Sweden and to safety. But he's stuck there in the middle of this giant conflict. And so the Brits, the Russians... The Germans and the Americans are all searching for him, and they send their respective uh, teams, special forces teams, to go get him. And Kennedy and Fulmer are selected by the Office of um, uh, Special uh, Strategic Services, the OSS, and the legendary Wild Bill Donovan to be the American team, or part of the American team, which joins with the British team, um, led by uh, Colin McDermott. And so they go in there and they're searching for him, but at the same time, there's an NKVD major who is searching for him, a real son of a gun. And there is an SS Standartenfuhrer, uh, which is about the equivalent of a colonel, but he's an SS officer and he's a real S uh, SOB. And uh, they're all searching for him. And uh, the story is about their attempts to locate Kapsky and the conflicts that occur. You know, there's a lot of action, tons of action. If you're, you know, if you're like me, who is an arrested adolescent, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think I progressed beyond being about 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> I think you'll really like it because there's tons of action. I think it's as historically accurate as you can possibly make it. I really labored over making sure that I got, in fact, I had to rewrite a portion when I found that where um, Fulmer and Kennedy had inserted into Poland, it would have been an impossibility because at the time, the date that I had the insertion, 
there were only about 300,000 German troops there. So that would have been a suicide mission. So you had to adjust, of course, to conform with the realities of history. That was probably the biggest challenge because you can't just willy nilly, as with most fiction writers, just put somebody in a certain location and travels to another location. You know, you've got to stay within the confines of history. And, and I, I hope that and I, it's not a hope. I know based on laborious research that I stayed in the confines of actual history, but it's historical fiction. So whatever the interstices of history, whatever history didn't fill in the blanks, I filled in those blanks with the fiction of Kennedy and Fulmer and this major Gromov, who is the NKVD major, and this um, uh, Standartenfuhrer, who is the real son of gun, the SS guy, um, who, um, when you read the book, he kills everybody he gets his hands on, basically. Uh, so uh, it's, his name is, is uh, Conrad um, uh, Marwer, and uh, really bad dude. So a uh, great cast of characters, I hope. They are kind of in the um, kind of a James Bond or Damien, Damon Runyon-esque mode, very colorful, and uh, except for the Americans, very brutal. You know, uh, I know from putting together my nonfiction books, uh, Pete, that uh, the research involved in just trying to get things right is tough. And uh, my last book uh, was about a CIA station chief that was kidnapped and murdered in Beirut. And I went up to the CIA and I walked through the museum. And I know in your book, uh, The Devil's Weapons, you have Colonel Wild Bill Donovan uh, featured and at the CIA museum, if memory serves me right, they have uh, General Donovan's uh, uniform and his Medal of Honor on display. So as you're putting together the historical fiction, how much time and effort do you take in just hardcore research down into the weeds, looking at maps, looking at old documents and so forth? Yeah, tons and tons. And it's fun to do so because I learn. I'm, I'm kind of a student of history. I love history. But when you get into these details, uh, you've got to be very, um, you've got to be extremely detailed without being redundant. And let me ask you, is that, was that the spy museum in Washington that you're talking about? No, no. I, I actually uh, did one of my book launches from the spy museum um, for Chasing Shadows. And uh, that was wonderful. The, the old spy museum. I haven't been to the new one yet. But um, this was the museum inside the CIA. Uh, I was uh, assigned over there back in the 80s during the hostage crisis in Lebanon. And uh, when I reached out to the agency to help me with my last book, uh, I went up and um, met with their staff. And then uh, I had an opportunity to wander around their their internal museum that's not open to the public. So uh, if you have any hooks or know anybody to get yourself into that, it's certainly it's certainly one of the uh, must-sees on the museum circuit in the D.C. area. Definitely going to do it. I am pretty sure my daughter has been there. She used to go to the CIA to lecture from time to time. And uh, what was the guy's name who was in a beautiful mind? Can't remember his name. She be she became friends with him because he actually he was a mathematician who actually in a beautiful mind he believes in he's in CIA but he's not. Uh, but in any event, um, yeah, I I hope to do that. And it's really fascinating, like. Researching Wild Bill Donovan, I was familiar with him, of course, as a lot of people do, are. But uh, researching him, what an amazing individual this guy was. He was a superstar on so many different levels. And you're right, he got you know the Medal of Honor, 
Um, just an incredible individual. But all these guys who are in that environment, a lot of times they say that, you know, the circumstances make the man. Um, I think this was a combination of him being an extraordinary man to begin with, but the circumstances also made these men. And, um, and I've always been fascinated by military history and uh, special operations. My, my brother-in-law was uh, served four tours in Vietnam. Some of the things he had done are still classified. He worked with John Paul Van, if you know who that is. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. And so I got a lot of information out of him. Try to give some, you know, reality to it because I was not in the military. You know, I came within a hair's breadth of going to West Point, but decided instead to go to Cornell. And um, then I talked with a lot of other special operators and try to get a sense for what they are like. Admittedly, it's not World War II, but I think that brotherhood and the kind of mentality that they share pertains throughout the ages. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial this is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. You know, we have a tremendous number of uh, agents, uh, security practitioners, uh, intelligence analysts that listens to our podcasts. And everybody that I talk to uh, is interested in putting together either a nonfiction or a fiction book. So how do you make the sausage, Pete? Walk me, th walk me through how you go about from concept to putting the pen to paper, I would call it. I mean, I know how I do it, but how do you do it? What's your TikTok of how that's done? Sure. You know, I'm fascinated by those elements, too. And mine is really peculiar because people think, you know, a lot of uh, um, authors that I've spoken to spend some time outlining what they want to do. I don't do that. And I use something I never do in my legal practice. I write, you know, Supreme Court briefs. They're very detailed and precise. What I do is, without even knowing what I'm going to write about, I'll get out a yellow pad, a pen, sit at my dining room table, stoke up on some coffee, and just start writing. And I mean that literally. I have no concept in my mind. I usually do it at starting about six in the morning when it's still quiet. And I just make myself write the word the. And then the next thing you know, I've got some more words and some more words and it just flows from there. It's just a kind of peculiar way that I'm able to do these things. When I'm writing briefs, of course, I laboriously do the research, plot out how I'm going to make the argument. That's not what happens here. I just let it flow. And, you know, I've got to go back later and maybe edit when things don't fall into place precisely as they should or when the history doesn't comport with my fiction. But nonetheless, I just write a story out that comes right fresh out of my brain without any preconceived notions or any plotting whatsoever. That's simply amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not that talented to be able to do that or that creative, uh, but uh, uh, that's really very, very helpful. 
And uh, I think we've had Jack Carr and Brad Thor on our podcast. And, you know, some of the advice they provide is just tremendous for folks uh, either wanting to start a novel or to, to, to write a book. So that's very interesting. Now, talk a little bit about how were you selected to carry the the amazing W.E.B. Griffin uh, series forward. I mean, that in itself is just, you know, an amazing feat in this business. Yeah, I was very fortunate. I've got a great agent. Um, you know, I wrote a couple of my own, and I'm still writing my own series of, of novels that were kind of in the Brad Thor, Vince Flynn, um, uh, Tom Clancy vein. What are those called, Pete? Uh, well, they're called uh, Target Omega. By the way, as you as you may know, at least I don't have any control over the titles. Not that I'm complaining, but I I had had my original title was Omega, but the marketing folks said, well, there's too much of that. It'll get confused. It'll be too far down the the list on Google. I mean, on Amazon. So, uh, and the other one is Second Strike, which is a sequel to Target Omega. I've got another one in that series coming out called The Black Russian. I'm not sure exactly when that will come out, but. Um, you know, those were contemporary. They are not historical fiction. They are pure fiction, but based on an imaginary kind of something similar to, um, say, a Delta Force or SEAL Team 6. It was The group was called Omega, and they're dedicated. They're former special operators. They're not former, but they're special operators that have been selected from, say, Delta and SEALs and Air Force Pararescue for certain talents that they've got. And they formed the Omega team, which are dedicated to interdicting and destroying weapons of mass destruction. Now, when you got the the tap on the shoulder to carry the W.E.B. Griffin series forward, what was your reaction? Oh, I was I was ecstatic. I was here at the firm and it was during COVID. And this is a fairly large firm. We've got hundreds of attorneys, but there are only a few people here. And when I got the call, I started running around the hallways trying to find somebody to tell, of course, because I was thinking about it. <laughs> But, and uh, there were not that many people to tell. So it's a good thing because then it curved my enthusiasm a little bit. But uh, I was very happy about it. But then the, what I had to do is I went back because I'd read, uh, you know, some of the Men at War uh, books, but not all of them. So even that night, I went back and started reading uh, voraciously anything that I hadn't read. And actually, I, I was hoping also I'd get the nod for doing a presidential agent, but that had already been assigned, not to my knowledge. I called my agent back right away and said, hey, guess what? I got the time to do presidential agent series also in addition to Men at War. He said, ah, too late. That one has been already assigned. But um, I was very happy about that. Began doing research immediately, then spoke with Tom Colgan, the editor, about what his take was. And he is phenomenal. Uh, you know, he's edited a million people, superstars, far beyond my level, and gave me some pretty good guidance as to where he thought I should go with this. And then I did a little treatment for him. He reviewed it. He thought it was, you know, going in the right direction. And uh, I continued from there. So um, Tom Cogan's phenomenal to work with. Uh, he is, you know, a dream for book writers to work with. And I'm very fortunate to be working with him. Yeah, I follow. Uh, we follow each other on social media, and uh, his Instagram account is, is simply a hoot. Um, I, I love uh, some of his posts, and he certainly has an amazing list of of authors that uh, he has helped uh, over time. Well, this is just fabulous, and i i can't uh, I can't wait to get my hands on this uh, book, Pete, and to dive into it. 
Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Well, you could ask about my Medal of Honor and Heisman Trophy, but then again, you know, next week. <laughs> no, the, the book is a good one. I'm looking forward to the next one, which is The Devil's Assassins, uh, which will come out sometime next year. It's the sequel to this. It picks up where Devil's Weapons left off. There's uh, a lot of action in this book. I like action. My uh, readers from my, my previous novels really like the action. I try to make it as real as possible. I run it by, as I said, my brother-in-law and some of his friends to make sure that I'm not saying things that people who haven't been in the military say, you know, I mean, it, it, you know how that goes. I mean, there are, there are folks who are out there have not served in the military. I mean, everyone around me has, my family, the whole thing, so I'm kind of immersed in it. But when I haven't been there, I haven't actually fought wars, it's a, it's a different type of mentality. I want to make sure I'm true to that mentality. I don't want to insult the people who actually put their lives on the line by saying something really silly. Uh, but lots of action, historically accurate, with the exception of taking, of course, the liberties of filling in the blanks where history hasn't provided it. But uh, I think it's a satisfying read. I know I've I've sent certain excerpts of it to my uh, former college football teammates. We had a reunion, a 50th reunion just a little while ago. They're voraciously read my novels. They like it. And as long as guys like that and folks, you know, special operators to whom I've given it like it, I'm satisfied. Well, Pete, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.